impacts them every day. I think we're going to do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Modern Man Podcast, where we appreciate the time and we ask you to share these episodes with a friend if you continue to get value from them. If this is your first time, make sure you hit that subscribe button to get a new episode each and every single week and leave us a rating to let us know how we're doing because we're on a mission of connecting men in pursuit of their potential. And we do that by cultivating community, embracing discomfort, and putting wind in each other's sails. And I'm excited to get some wind in our sails today from veteran an angel investor, advisor, CEO of Funware, Randall Crowder, joining us out of Austin, Texas. Randall, man, thanks for being on the show. No, I really appreciate it. And honestly, we were talking about this before you hit record. You know, I, I commend you for what you're doing. You know, it, you said it, it was, it was special. It was like so many people, you know, they're scared of their own vulnerability and, and they're scared mm-hmm. of kind of putting themselves out there. And, and, you know, the sad part is, it's not just masculinity or any of that stuff. I mean, there, there's a real mental health crisis um, that is not just full on suicidal. It's it's just depression. It's anxiety. It's not knowing where you fit, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to get off go. And and I saw a lot of that in the military. I still see it a lot, you know, just in in the, in the private sector. Um, and so, you know, these kind of platforms are so important. And and I know that you know a lot of these are labors of love. We talked about you putting the card down to start, you know, to, to pay for venues. I know what that's like being yeah. all in. You know, when you push your chips in. That's a whole different level of motivation. And yeah. so, you know, I think it's, it's really special that you're pushing in your chips to help others. So thank you for having me on. Man, it's an absolute pleasure. And I just want to make sure I say thank you for the service, brother, because it very much is appreciated. And I want to make sure that the audience actually gets a chance to, to meet you and, and get the introduction from you in your own words. So, so please take the floor, let folks know who you are, what you do, and then we can kind of hop a little bit into to some of some of your story. Yeah, man, it's, it's a weird story. I always tell people I've spent my career collecting jobs I'm probably not qualified for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm an entrepreneur by necessity, not by not by design. Um, you know, grew up in Austin, Texas, uh, went to the military by way of what point I uh, did it before 9-11. So I can't you know, I can't claim that I was brave or I knew what I was getting into. Uh, 9-11 was my senior year. And I still remember walking into my first class after the, the towers fell. And we had this like cartoonish colonel, you know, big, big jaw, gravelly voice. And he kind of looks around as we were all sitting down, kind of shook from what we just saw. And he goes, well, cadets, you're all going to war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, Oof. That's, that's a wake up call because um, we didn't think we were going to have to do anything going into West Point. Rumsfeld was, Rumsfeld was downsizing the military. Um, a lot of us, were, a lot of people were getting paid to get out of the military, but, you know, best laid plans went out the window, um, served a couple tours, you know, was fortunate enough to come home safe and sound. Got my MBA here in Austin at McCombs uh, and then just started a bunch of things. I think, you know, being in the military for me, I felt like I was behind the power curve. I felt like everybody else was doing big things, um, you know, doing billion dollar deals on Wall Street. And, you know, what what skills do I have? Like, you know, I can raid a house, I could do movement to contact, you know, I can react to an ambush, but, you know, what am I going to give to, you know, the financial industry or innovation or, you know, anything else for that matter? Uh, and so I immediately got to just hit the ground running. So uh, we can talk about it in a little bit, but, you know, got into an angel network, 
I ended up taking that angel network over because, you know, I'm not a really good follower. And so ended up just kind of saying, hey, look, you know, y'all got some problems. You know what? I'll fix it. And so I actually turned that into the most active angel network in the country, Um, spun a venture fund out of that, started my own venture fund uh, focused on tech enabled healthcare. So we invested in healthcare startups that were using technology to make healthcare better or more efficient for that matter. Uh, And then ironically, when I was doing the angel, the angel network, one of my first seed rounds was a one and a half million dollar seed round to start Funware back in 2009. Fast forward 10 years, I put about $3 million into the last private round for Funware before we went public. It was only going to be an investor and help them think through some things around crypto. Uh, but the founder, um, Alan Natowski, who's the CEO at the time, uh, said, hey, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of big things. You know, you, you've been enjoying you've been doing the venture capital route for 10 years, you know, do you want to kind of get back into the saddle and, and build this thing with me? Uh, and so, you know, I think at that time, you know, when you're a VC, you're a backseat driver, you know, maybe if the investment's a little wonky, you're riding shotgun. And if you're going, you know, off the road, you're going to grab the wheel. Uh, but if you're, if you're investing in the right things and the right entrepreneurs, you're a backseat driver. And I don't like backseat driving, you know, I like driving. Um, and so, you know, I was ready to, I think, get back into a company and, and do go all in on something. And so joined up uh, with Funware and been doing that ever since. And, and it's been a blast. Yeah, man. And you've been crushing it. And, and we could talk more about Funware in a little bit, but I want to go back to what you mentioned senior year and because you talk about, all right, cadets, looks like you're going to war and the whole plans change. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm interested to know uh, what was your mindset like in that and, and for you and your classmates and how did, did your curriculum change while in your schooling? Like how did, I guess, the nature of your trajectory, which was clearly derailed, but how did that nature kind of mature itself in the next six to 12 months? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, I guess it's that like five stages of grief. Like you kind of don't believe it at first and then you kind of like work through it. Um, I will say again, I'm always honest and transparent. You know, there was probably one moment about three, you know, so you kind of, you're going to war, right? But you don't really know if you're going yet. So this is, you know, 2001, we graduate from, West Point uh, in 2002. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on in Afghanistan um, kind of after the towers fell, but before we actually invaded um, and then also before we invaded Iraq. And so, you know, there was a lot of preparation. There was kind of a lot of like, hey, this is this is you're, you're training for real now. But I'll tell you, you know, small diversion into kind of what's happening today I'm shocked by what's happening in in Ukraine. And uh, I'm married to a Ukrainian. I have a daughter on the way who will be half Ukrainian. And man, Ukrainians are, there's some bad, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll edit myself out so in case kids are listening. Um, but but what they're doing over there is incredible. And what, you know, I, and I can watch like troop movements, you know, Russian troop movements, whether it's armored or dismounted, and they are not prepared at all. They are not trained. They are not prepared. They are not equipped we would blow through the Russian army in a weekend. Like, you know, the American fighting force is second to none. I, China, Russia, it doesn't matter who it is. We've been waging war for 30 years. I mean, you can go all the way back to the 90s. I say that to say that our training is dialed in. So not a lot changed. It just got real. You know, so when we were going, you know, when I went to, you know, from you know airborne school to ranger school to, you know, OC, you know, whatever you do, your basic course as an officer to even, you know, training at NTC in California or JRTC in uh, Louisiana. It's very real. 
because it's being run by people who have seen combat. They either saw Desert Storm, some of them, you know, all the way back to the Colonel I was talking about in class. I think he had jumped into Grenada. We just have people with so much experience offering that experience up to train young men and women to be the best they can be um, and be the best war fighters there can be. But unlike Russia, we also teach humanity. And so you saw this in Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, on one, day one, you might be, you know, a trigger puller, but on day two, you might be handing out candy to kids. And that's what makes the American, you know, military forces so special is that they're very good tactically at what they do, but they don't lose sight of why they're doing it. And you yeah. see that in Ukraine right now where, you know, what the Russians are doing and the atrocities and we haven't always been great at that either. You know, we have Abu Ghraib, we have Milai back in Vietnam. But for the most part, I'm blown away by the training that we received, by the humanity that was never lost in the mission, and by, and by like almost the accountability to each other. You know, I saw kids who were barely 18 negotiating ceasefires with tribal leaders. I mean, it's amazing. Then you see them, you know, running around playing grab ass back in the wire. But when they step outside the wire and they put the gear on, they grow up fast. Um, yeah. And so yeah. I don't think we felt unprepared at all. It, it was a pretty special experience to watch people, you know, get trained and execute their training well. Yeah, that's amazing because it's almost like the credence of where they say, you know, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to the level of your preparation. And, you know, my my friend has mentioned before, he, he served in the army 10 years in Germany and he was saying, you know, a lot of it's hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, but trust your training and trust your superiors because they've done this before. They know what's going Absolutely. on and you lean into Absolutely. that. You mentioned, Absolutely. go ahead. Go ahead, please. I was going to say the camaraderie aspect, because uh, I know you mentioned the importance of teamwork and working together towards an objective. How has that experience in the military translated to the benefits in the business world? Because we have a lot of veterans that come out and you mentioned before, like, how do my skills uh, adapt to the real world where you actually might have that leg up because of some of that experience? How has that been for you as you've transitioned, getting your MBA and then working in business? I think, it, it, you know, it's humbling. I will say if anybody hasn't ever read it, you know, I don't get any royalties off of this, uh, but it's a startup nation. And it's all about how Israel uses service to fuel innovation, which is kind of odd. But I mean, everybody, you know, is, is, everyone has to serve in Israel and, you know, arguably, you know, not a political or cultural statement, but they are surrounded by, you know, they're they're mortal enemies, if you will. Um, you know, it, it, it's, we don't understand what that's like being in America. Like America is uninvadable, period. We have all the resources we need. We have crazy natural borders. Um, we don't understand what it's like to be Ukraine and have somebody just roll into our country. And if you don't fight, you die. Um, Israel has been living with that for a long time, but Palestinians live with that as well from Israel. You know, so when you're in such close proximity to that existential threat, um, it has an influence on you. But what Startup Nation does is explain how that role in service and that role in defense has helped inspire their innovation and their entrepreneurial ecosystem. America hasn't figured that out yet. Uh, it's really sad to see. And I think we talked about this in the very beginning about mental health. A lot of people that serve get out of the military and they don't know what to do and, and they feel lost and they've lost that camaraderie, especially if you've been a warfighter. Um, there's nothing like the camaraderie you get when you're deployed 
and you're fighting for each other. Yes, you have a flag on your shoulder and it's popular to say you're doing it for, you know, God and country, but you're doing it for the person next to you, hands mm-hmm. down. Um, when you lose that, you lose a part of yourself if you don't have a strong sense of self. And I don't know that we teach that well enough when you're transitioning out the military, you know, that what you learned is what you learned. You're not just good because you had four buddies next to you or 30 buddies next to you. You're good because you have skill sets that played well with the whole, but those skill sets don't disappear just because you're not on the team anymore. You know, if you can throw a ball, you can throw a ball even when you're not playing anymore. You go out and play with the kids Thanksgiving and you're throwing the ball around. You still got an arm. You still got a cannon, right? So, like, I think what we have to understand is when you're getting out of the military, you understand organizational leadership. You understand how to act under pressure. You understand how to lead. You understand asymmetric thinking. Like, there is just skill sets that are so great for private industry. Uh, but there's also this really interesting thing that I saw that I well, maybe it taught me that good ideas come from anywhere. You know, and and so when we went into, you know, in 1990s, you're fighting Desert Storm. All the training out of that was this force on force against large Russian troop movements or large Chinese troop movements. And then we go to Mogadishu, we go to Afghanistan and we go to Iraq. And guess what? None of that training works. You know, it's like urban fighting, you know, super, you know, asymmetric. And nobody had really experienced that before, you know except for maybe Vietnam, but that was in a forestry situation, not a, not a town. And so we had to adapt quickly and we had to learn quickly and you had to push all of that responsibility and leadership down to the smallest unit level. So squads were making material, meaningful decisions that impacted tactics and strategy. And so I kept seeing like really good ideas and really great leadership come from just the most unlikely sources. And it's always reminded me that you got to give everybody a chance to participate in the decision-making process, the research process, the feedback process. Um, And I've taken that with me to Funware where it's like sometimes the quietest engineer or that introvert, they might have the best ideas, you know, just because you're loud doesn't mean you know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I saw that all the time in the military where you'd see these really interesting, exciting innovations. When we were over there uh, in Iraq in 03, they had just started using uh, basically infrared to trigger their IEDs. And so these mechanics, you know, now DARPA is over here in the States investing, you know, investing in like ground penetrating radar, super cool Star Wars type things to defeat these IEDs. And there were some mechanics that just said, you know what, we're going to weld rebar to the front of the Humvee dangle some chains in front of it. And so if we're going to hit an ID, we're going to hit an ID, but let's trigger it ahead of the cab. Mm -hmm. And so now granted that only worked for about six months and they started learning to daisy chain them. But initially it was just really cool innovation. They were like, look, we don't need some hundred thousand dollar ground penetrating radar. We're just going to use metal and chains. And then we'll basically protect the cab by triggering the ID before the actual Humvee hits it. And so that kind of innovation is everywhere. And so as a leader, you got to remember that everybody, you know, needs to have a say and you got to cultivate that kind of feedback loop. Man. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that you were able to take those skills transition into the business world because I mean, we've heard over and over again, you know, it's hard to see the forest when you're among the trees. Well, for a leader, when you're in the, when you're looking at the forest, you might not be able to really see the trees. And there's sometimes those voices, those small voices, that quiet engineer, 
they're in the trenches. They do it every day. They know the the struggles of the everyday attack. So they could probably lead up the chain of command, let you know what their environment's like and maybe provide some, some of that that innovativeness. I've always said, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I try to lead with is I don't have to be right. I want to get it right. Like mm-hmm. You'll never catch me driving around lost if I can pull over and ask for directions. No way. <laughs> I don't care if it's a woman giving me directions. I don't care if it's my kid giving me directions. I don't care if a man giving me directions. Red, white, pink, you know, Asian, American. I, I, am, I have no prejudices, especially when you can help me get it right. So if you can help me be better than I was without you, hands down. I got no ego involved in getting it right. And so yeah. I think leaders can't afford not to ask people for help because if somebody in your chain of command has a really good idea, that can make you that that can that can make your business. It can make your you know pitch. It can make your you know it can bring people home you know alive. You know you mm-hmm. you need to surface that kind of insight. Absolutely. I mean, it's almost like the red hot Cheeto where it wasn't a janitor that came up with the idea and the CEO was like, absolutely. And that's where it's all about. (laughs) You never know where the good ideas are going to come from. Flaming hot Cheetos. Yeah. Which are delicious, by the way. Um, (laughs) I want to talk about um, really quick mentorship and also mentors versus role models because uh mm. you have a distinct difference between the two yeah. and cool. i couldn't believe when i read that you said you never had a mentor before for someone who's done so many amazing things um kudos brother right because we talk all the time it's like okay if you want a shortcut if you want to get somewhere you know find the mentor someone who's done it before and have them pour into you but i want to talk more i guess on your view of the mentor, how that relationship is, where you get your information from, and what's the difference between a mentor and a role model? Yeah, it's a great question. So, so I think let's start at the start at the end and work our way back. I think the difference is access. You know, you have access to a mentor. You don't have access to a role model. You know, you you want to emulate a role model. Um, you want to actively learn from a mentor. Mm. I don't think I'm probably doing certain people a service by saying I never had a mentor. I certain I certainly had people mentor me, kind of the action, you know, verb of it, but I never had the noun of it, you know, a mentor, mm-hmm. you know, so I've been mentored. I never had a mentor. So a lot of people have helped me along the way. I certainly did not do it on my own, but I think what I lacked and this is probably the, the insight that I would provide others is my own fault. So when I was investing, I always asked my entrepreneur, I made them, but I asked them, I politely asked them, um, you know, do this professional coaching. And it was always because it's, it's a lonely road being an entrepreneur. You know, when you're starting stuff, um, you don't want to talk to your family because you don't want them to think that, you know, you can't make it. You don't want to talk to your employees because you don't want them to think you can't make it. And you don't want to talk to your investors because you don't want them to think you can't make it. And, you know, you're only telling yourself you might not be able to make it. And that negative self-talk is debilitating sometimes. And so who can you talk to? Um, and sometimes you don't even want to talk to your peers because, you don't. You're, you know, we have a natural competitive streak. And so professional coaching is is important and kind of functions like a mentor for hire in a way because it's a sounding board for you. Um, I tried to do take my own you know advice and I, I would do it a couple of times as well. And this woman told me one time, she was like, you know, get over it. 
you're just not going to have a mentor. Be a mentor to other people. But, you know, your problem is there. it's a two-way street. You know, yes, you want a mentor, but if you don't open yourself up, you know, mentors aren't walking around just throwing themselves at people, like being like, you need my help. Come here. Like, you know, they're, they're looking for that, that social contract, that relationship where they can take you under your, under their wing, but where you tuck in under their wing, you know, she was like, you're out here flapping. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> you know, no, you, you're like, I'm not going near that person. He's going to take us both down, you know? And so <laughs> I've always kind of, it wasn't by design. I've always kind of been a self-starter and I'm like, well, I'll figure it out. And, you know, I'll run through walls to figure it out. Uh, and she said, you know, you got to be careful with that because people will think you've got it, you've got it handled or that you don't need the help and they'll go elsewhere where someone is more vulnerable. You know, we started off talking about that. If you want a mentor, you need to present yourself as more vulnerable and be willing to put yourself out there and ask to be mentored. Don't wait for a mentor to come to you and be like, hey, Ted, you know, I see you out here hurting, you know, let me come and change your life. Now, occasionally that does happen. There's some amazing people out there. Angels walk among us. Um, but more often than not, you're going to have to court your own mentor. You're going to have to put yourself out there and be like, look, you know, I'm struggling. I'm trying to do that now, actually. Um, there's a few people in my life now that I've, I've made it a point to be like, let me pick your brain. You know, I don't want anything. I just want to really hear your story. I want to learn from you. You know, I want some insight. I think that's also important as well. Um, it shouldn't always be a transaction. Um, you shouldn't, you know, hey, I want to be, I want you to be my mentor, but I'm really looking for a job, huh? You know, it's like, you know, you want that to be a, a very clean, um, very transparent relationship so that there's trust. And that there's that vulnerability on both sides. You know, they're going to entrust you with a lot of their knowledge. You're going to trust them with a lot of that wisdom. Um, and it's not just a transaction where you're trying to get an in or an introduction or something else. So I think I'm trying to do that better as I get older. But when I was younger, I was just hard charging. Like, I mean, show no fear, rub some dirt in it, you know, walk it off, you know, no weakness. I'm going to run through a wall and I'm going to make it happen. And I think that pushed away any opportunity for mentorship. Um, I really would have ever had. Yeah, I could relate in terms of being a self-starter and like, okay, I could just figure this out. I could learn it. I'm a self-learner. YouTube University, uh, let, let's go. Yep. And, and it's it's great to kind of learn it, but then you get to a point where, especially as I'm kind of elevating more, I'm starting to delegate for my business. And I'm like, okay, it's great that I know this stuff. Had I had a mentor maybe teach me how to outsource earlier, I would have saved yes. hours and hours of time because I hire someone to do something. They do it better than I do because <laughs> they've done it longer. And that's me putting the ego aside on that. <laughs> but, I, but I struggle with that. You know, it's like, if you think about, you know, think about school, you know, and it's like some of that foundational stuff, you know, are you learning the foundational stuff or are you learning how to learn? And mm -hmm. so like, sometimes like I wonder about like, you know, I could have somebody go to the gym for me. I could pay somebody to do it, but is it going to really benefit me? Like I could have them log in under my name and I could pull a record and say, look, I go to the gym, look at my membership, all these check-ins, but am I getting any stronger? No. Um, and so, there, it, but it's a balance, right? There, I think, you know, you probably learned a lot doing it yourself and failing and yes, yeah, someone could have done it easier, but maybe that's not the right answer either. And mm -hmm. so I, you know, I struggle with that too. Um, the, the, one of my, somebody who's mentored me in the past, a gentleman named Admiral Inman, 
former deputy uh, former deputy director of the CIA. Um, he always kind of couched it like this, and he said that one of the hardest challenges Type A personalities have is figuring out the art of delegation. And he's like, you will, especially when you're a, an entrepreneur, because like you have to wear so many hats. And biggest challenge you will have is there's a task, and you know you can get an A at that task. Mm-hmm. And you hire somebody and you want them to do that task, but they can only get like a B. But that might be okay because that frees you up to go somewhere else where you can get an A plus and that A plus is more valuable than all of that activity for the A's and the B's. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that it's okay if someone does something not as good as you or maybe just different than you, even if it's ultimately not as good as you would have done it, that's okay. Because you gotta, you can't, you can't scale yourself. You have to be able to build a team. Uh, and sometimes, you know, maybe they don't do a good job the first time, but maybe they'll learn and they'll get better. And you got to resource them and train them and support them and tell them that failure is okay. That's a hard thing for people to get used to. And you got to be careful with that. I think it's the same thing probably for parenting. Like you don't want to be impatient. You know, you want to, you want to let people learn and let people fail and create that safe space, but also push them. So, you know, I think that we have to remember that, you know, as, as men um, for this, but as, as, as women too, you know, just that, that determination to be the best version of yourself shouldn't quiet somebody else's journey, but should amplify their mm. journey as well. And, and I think that's, a, that's always going to be a challenge. I'd say that, that actually segues perfectly into the next question I had because talking about building a team and and I've seen this with okay if they don't get it right the first time maybe okay I would take the responsibility and say maybe I didn't articulate my vision correctly or maybe um I I didn't articulate the intentionality in terms of what I was hoping to do and it's also when you're managing multiple people you, you mentioned Technology is great, allowing us to access people and also allowing us to kind of communicate from afar, but also that emotional intelligence on everybody mm-hmm. receives things differently, right? I, the way I talk to one person is not the way I talk to the other. The way my wife receives information is not the way, you know, members of my team receive information. Some people need to have it, hear it direct. Other people need a little bit of sugar with the way that they get it. Boy, do I know it. How important is that, man? <laughs> Uh, well, you uh, when we stop record, you can tell me how your wife receives information because I need all the help I can get with that. <laughs> so it, it is uh, you know, one of the things I actually heard that was really interesting on that topic. Have you ever done like a Myers Briggs test? Yeah, I have. So like, I mean, a lot of people talk about that, and you know, there, there's um, I forget his last name, Thomas Klinkman, conflict theory, um, or Klingman or something. But you know, Myers Briggs is the most popular one. Mm-hmm. And you know, you take all these for those of the people that are watching that you take all these questions and they're really trying to put you in these, you know, different categories, and they're all based around, you know, four um, you know, categories. Each category has a pair. And so, you know, I'm an ENTJ, and it just means I'm super pegged out at the bottom right, and you know, I'm a I'm an August baby, so I'm a Leo, and they're all of the crazy astrology things you would ever read about me are true and you know I, I'm, I'm brash and sometimes too arrogant and you know everything sign me up for it um but with that same professional coach i was talking about she was telling me how everybody gets that test wrong and, and it's almost like uh, an interesting you know homage to just us as human beings we're a little bit self-centered so people think that test is they lead with that i'm an entj nobody cares the point of the test is so someone else 
knows how to communicate with you. If you're a, you know, so they always talk about office dynamics. Like if you are a visual learner, just going into that person's, you know, if, if you have a, you know, a colleague who's a visual learner, just barging in the door and being like, hey, let's riff on something right now. Let's talk. Like it's going to overload them. They're going to be like, whoa, 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 we need, to, we need to schedule a meeting. You need mm-hmm. to give me some prep material. We need to have a whiteboard. Like you just can't like throw that at me right now. And it doesn't mean that they're a bad colleague. It doesn't mean that they're stupid. It just means that they receive information differently than you. And so if you know that, you know not to spring stuff on them. You get on their calendar. Um, and so, you know, I think that's that's an important part of communication is just, you said it perfectly, you know, understanding how someone receives information should inform how you give that person information. You know, don't be combative. Don't make them an enemy. Just understand some people, you know, are not going to receive information the same way as you. Yeah. And my wife and I took the test. I am an ENTP. She is an ISFJ which means we have zero overlaps in our personality. <laughs> which, that's about, that's about like me and my life. Which, what was great. Language is, 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 you know, uh, what is it? I, I'm acts of service. She's physical touch. Yeah. And she, you know, she, she always thinks like scratch my back's going to, you know, going to fix everything. I'm like, no, no, I want you to clean up the house. Help me out. <laughs> I don't want, I don't need the back scratch. I like it, but like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's, it's, it's huge because that's eye opening in terms of on paper, my wife and I are direct opposites and we're the hardest to work, but we also have the most to gain from each other. So I've yeah. realized her strengths are my weaknesses. My weaknesses are her strengths. And when oh, we learned how to, when we learned how to communicate, I was like, babe, we're going to blow this out of the water. Um, so that is huge. I want to touch on, um, especially as we're talking about communication and everything, um, some have figured out, some are winners, some are losers, some just haven't figured out how to win yet. Yeah. And, and this is kind of talking about where, you know, a generation of participation trophies and yeah. my wife and I, we laugh because one thing we do agree on is when we have kids, we're throwing those participation trophies out like nah, not in our house. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> so, yeah, talk about that in terms of, you know, some people are winners, some people are losers, some people just haven't figured out how to win yet because it is an unfortunate reality. I, I think is is like, you know, I'm thankful we're growing up. My parents were very much, adamant about the fact like hey you don't deserve anything yet you haven't earned anything yet you know i watched them work hard and i knew it from a young age when i said okay you know if you want more money work harder and i was like no Mm. my parents are the hardest working people i know and they're not the richest people i know so clearly something didn't connect but i had that work ethic embedded in me at a young age and i'm thankful for that because it's kind of given me that that desire to earn my way, earn the mm-hmm. things that I get, or even the things that I ask for, I want to earn them. And I think that's yeah. definitely paid positive benefits for me in life. And unfortunately, I know some other people who might not have that same mentality. Talk yeah. a little bit about that perspective. I mean, God, there's, there's a lot there. Um, and cause I, so I have, my first is due in March. Um, thankfully, like, I think I hope that would be a good parent regardless. But, you know, I, I've always kind of said, like, I'm almost certain I will have only girls. Everybody, no, 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 I think this boy, this baby's going to be a boy. And sure enough, it was a girl. Um, so, like, I know, you know, I, I think it's probably a good thing for me because I feel like 
that's training wheels as a parent. Like, I feel like I can dote on my daughter a little bit more than I probably, and this is, you know, hey, I recognize the fact that I'm saying something that's probably misogynistic and, and not appropriate. And my HR director would probably shoot me. Um, but I do feel like I can, you know, be like, with like a daughter and like yeah. i feel like with a boy i'd kind of be like stop crying you know, I, I don't want to do that i don't want to be like that ex-military archetype of a father um and everyone's like no you'll be a softie and i'm not like that's probably true but i feel like i can be you know even more so with a daughter but i question that i wonder about that because i don't want to you look at so many, there, there's another great quote, um, and this would be for a woman or a man, but it's like, show me a great man who's the son of a great man, or show me a great woman who's the son of a, you know, it's like, show me a great, you know, offspring of a great parent. And it's hard when you actually think about it, because what makes people great is that grind the doing it for the first time, you weren't handed anything. And so we always want to give our children the best but it's like you don't want to rob them of that struggle. And, and so, you know, I think letting your kids, you know, Jordan Peterson talks about this, but, you know, don't interrupt your kids doing something dangerous if they're doing it carefully, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, when they're rock climbing or exploring or climbing up on the couch or just doing things like you need to let them kind of be out there on a ledge sometimes. Um, and I think that starts to kind of promote this idea of trying and failing. And then the question is, okay, how do you support them trying again, but learning something from the failure and educating that? And a lot of that, um, there's a great article that I just shared with my mom is about curiosity, about traits of, they went through this research of a bunch of high-performing CEOs, and then what did their parents teach them? And we're trying to kind of quantify what was different about their childhood. And one of the biggest things that came out was curiosity, like promoting curiosity, you know, mm -hmm. asking kids, you know, why, you know, if you go outside in a lightning storm without it, or you go outside in a rainstorm without a jacket, you know, don't just scream at them and say, no, you're stupid. Be like, why'd you do that? You know, what were the consequences of it? You know, what would you do differently next time? You know, that kind of respect for the decision-making process um, to understand, hey, you messed up, but there's probably a better way and have that kind of creative thinking to understand what would you do differently? I'd grab my jacket next time. I'm not stupid. Um, <laughs> but same thing in physical activities, you know, hey, I'm, I'm rock climbing and I fell, you know, what would you do differently? I'd take a different route. You know, okay, great. I'd also strengthen my hands a little bit. Cool. Great. What else? You know, so I think winners, losers, and, and you know, the third category scares me the most because I don't think you're even in the game. Winners and losers are winning and losing. They're busy competing. Mm. If you haven't figured out how to win yet, you probably aren't losing that much either. You're playing it so safe that you're just kind of stagnant. And that scares the shit out of me. Mm. You know, I, I want, I don't mind failure if I learn something from it. Winning is nice, but I also don't want to become complacent. And so, you know, I think you just got to, it's a man in the arena. You know, you need to get in the arena. And you need to just compete, compete with yourself, compete with others, compete with everybody. Um, one of the best quotes, I, I think it was, um, God, I forgot who it was now, but it was basically the pain of remaining the same. No one ever changes until the pain of remaining the same outweighs the pain of change. Mm. And it's so true. Like, you know, if you don't, sometimes if you don't move, life will move on you. And I think that's an important thing to remember and just get out there and, you know, don't be afraid to fail. Yeah. 
my wife hates it because I say things like, you know, hey, risk is a budget line and she's not as she's more risk adverse than I am. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm going to take some L's along the way. You know, I've I've spoken on the podcast of, you know, taking an investment, lost thirty thousand dollars. And she's like, what happened? I'm like, it's probably not going to be the most money I lose in life. But <laughs> we bounce back from that. And I'm like, OK, what's next? But you're right. You, you have to take some L's along the way because getting through those things, uh, my wife and I look back through the pandemic, through through pay cuts, through that investment and all that. We're on the other side, resilient, better than where we were before. And if that problem yep. were to come up again, we know that we could overcome. And when it comes to raising Absolutely. kids, I always tell my wife, it's, it's kind of like life is a deep pool and I don't want my kids to stay in the shallow end and I don't want to necessarily give them floaties. I'll teach yeah. them how to swim, but I'll let them swallow a little water, but I won't let them drown. <laughs> there you go. I love yeah. it. Uh, I love it. Coming towards the end really quick, uh, just two more questions. Um, I want to talk about the moments that define us because, you know, a lot of people think it's those, those big opportunities, right? It's like, okay, like this is, this is my chance. Like there's a stage, the lights are on, the audience is out there. This is my chance. But I love how you're like, uh, no, 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 no. The moments that define us are, are much smaller than that. And it's a collection of them. Um, you know, I, I will say the moments that define you, you will be alone. And and what I mean by that is like, even if that moment that defines you is that pitch and you're in front of other people, you're already in process at that point. Like the moment that defines you is something else. And so I always use running analogy. Um, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but I, I, I'm a runner and I, I love to run and, and I can run, but it's still hard. And if I don't get up and run, or if I don't run at the end of the day, no one's going to know, no one's going to care. And, you know, there's no accolades waiting for me to do it, but whether it's raining, whether it's cold, whether I want to, there's a defining moment in that where I decide to run. And while I'm running, it's like, I'm already out here now. Like I'm, 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 I'm hurting now. I'm sweating now. And I always run out. So I have to run back. Like I don't do loops so I can quit. And I'm like, I ran three miles out. I got to run three miles back or it's going to be a long walk. Um, and so, you know, for me, there's always that internal struggle, that moment where I'm like, you know, what's the big deal? I could go running tomorrow. I don't have to run right now. Like I, I run all the time. No one's watching. And that moment defines my character. You know, that, that, that decision to see it through, you know, I committed to saying I was going to do something. I'm going to see it through. Um, and so I think these moments that define us are those small moments where it could go either way. You could choose to go all in or not. You could choose to decide to do it or not. Um, it happened to me with West Point. Like I, I, West Point for me was a joke. Like I wasn't actually thinking I was going to get in. My, one of my good friends in high school was like, you should go to West Point with me. I was like, what's that? He's like, that's a military academy. I was like, no, thank you. No, I was already accepted to UT. I was going to party. I had a good time in high school. I was going to have a better time in college. But then there was that existential moment. I was like, I don't like to admit I can't do something. And by him challenging me to do it, and if I said, no, I'm not going to do it, in the back of my mind, I would be saying that because I was afraid I couldn't, even if I wasn't. I was just like, that's what I, that's how I would rationalize it. I know years later, I'd be like, ah, you know, I was probably, a, you know, part of my French was probably a pussy. So I ended up applying, thinking I wasn't going to get in. So I was like, I'm going to apply, but I probably won't get in. So who cares? But then I got in and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> now I gotta go. I was like, damn it. <laughs> you know, and so, but any at any point along the line, I could have, you know, not done it. 
Uh, but that those moments define me. The, the decision to apply, the decision to go, and the decision to stick it out. Um, you know, I think that, that those are the special moments where you can you can no one's watching. Like if you get on stage and it's time to sing, man, you know that that's that's not as defining because you're already out there. Like you're gonna be embarrassed if you don't. It's like the stuff that happens leading up to that point that got you to that stage. Those are the defining moments. Yeah, kind of like Sun Tzu saying, you know, the war is won and lost in preparation and in practice. Absolutely. Yeah. One hundred percent. I want to make sure we have a little time to talk about Funware because you mentioned how that came back full circle from the initial investment. And you even mentioned in terms of having that camaraderie again, and man, you're back in the yeah. trenches, right? COO, you're part of the operations. <laughs> What's that been like? Talk about Funware, the technology that you guys are really rolling out and 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 how that's going to be kind of disrupting the market. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's an amazing company. It's amazing because of the people, um, you know, we got our start building mobile applications. It was actually pretty simple. The, the hypothesis was let's help large brands transition from web to mobile. So we built the first NFL app. We built the first NASCAR app. We built all most of Fox's mobile applications. We've done the Olympics, presidential elections, hospitals, stadiums, airports, you name it. We probably have more experience developing mobile software than almost anybody in the world. What we wanted to do was take that kind of institutional knowledge base and say, okay, where's the market really headed? Like, that's great, you know, but a lot of people have mobile applications now. A lot of people can build mobile applications now. You know, let's not be sedentary, right? Let's not stagnate. Let's win or lose. Like, let's play to win. Uh, and so there's this kind of buzzword called digital transformation, but it's really what you see in the... It's like, if anybody's ever seen Minority Report with Tom Cruise, there's a scene where he's like walking through the mall of the future and they're like scanning his eyes and all the advertisements are personalizing to him or Back to the Future 2 where the shark almost eats Marty McFly. That's all digital transformation. It's basically taking the technology in the real world and using it to engage people wherever they are. And so if you've been to Disneyland lately or Disney World, you know, it's these mobile applications that show you where you are, what's around you, what's the quickest route to get to things, what's open for food, mobile ordering, all of that stuff uh, is what we do. And so we do digital transformation for a mobile first world. Uh, you know, like you, you always hear all this talk right now about the metaverse. The metaverse is a marketing gimmick. Um, you know, it probably will be something but not for a very long time because of bandwidth issues, form factor, general acceptance. I truly believe that's not that's not what we're going to see first. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to develop a virtual world to escape the real one. I want to tech enable the real world to make it a better one. And mm -hmm. so that's what we're doing. We're tech enabling the real world. We just launched at Atlantis down in the Bahamas. Um, you know, we've done workplaces, hospitals, and so it's all about how do I use this to better engage you? Yeah. And so down in Atlantis, it's really cool. So now we've mapped the entire island. It's 140 acres. Um, you can book and buy and engage anything just through the palm of your hand. And now they want to do things like augmented reality scavenger hunts for the kids and just a lot of really cool stuff uh, that's all about kind of creating a technological overlay to the real world so that you get more out of your real world experiences. Yeah, it's pretty fun. I, yeah, that's amazing. I feel like we've just touched the surface of that too with the augmented reality or whatnot. I think like the first widely accepted version of that was probably Pokemon Go. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And you're that like, exactly right. It, pr it proved it. It proved that it can work. And I think that what's interesting about that is, and you said this about you know just kind of 
you know, all of the work when you decide to do something on your own. When you actually do something, you stop ideating, you realize what you think might be the answer. It might not be the answer for reasons you didn't think about. So you've got to keep an open mind to things. Like, so you think about how much money, like all these people are pumping into smart glasses. Google Glass, you know, oh, it was a failure because of the form factor. I don't know about that. Like my issue is if I'm talking to you and you got glasses on and they're smart glasses, you're taking them off. Cause like, I I don't, are you recording me? Like, what are you doing? Like people just have a natural, you know, sense of self and privacy. And so if everybody's walking around with like camera, like now if you walk up to me like this and you're doing this right in my face, I mean, I'm gonna have a problem with you, but you know, so glasses, I don't think are ever going to be widely accepted. But this phone, you can get information from it, but it's got to be kind of transient. It's like, all right, you know, if I can like swipe this around and see like, oh, look, there's buy one, get one drinks, you know, down the street, two blocks, and I can see it in augmented reality. Then I put my phone away and I walk down there. That I think people can accept. um, But I don't think people are prepared to accept everybody walking around with glasses recording everybody else. I think that just going to make people uncomfortable. Yeah. A little too invasive or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. How how can people follow more of the work that Funware is doing? Follow you and your journey, your story, and, and keep up with with obviously more and more that's going to be coming down the line in the future. Yeah, I'm easy to find. You know, it's at Randall Crowder um, on Instagram. Uh, it's at Crowder Official on Twitter. I have at Randall Crowder on Twitter too, I think, but I can't remember my password to save my life. You know, maybe Elon can help me out with that. Uh, I have no idea. Um, but at Crowder official is what I actually use. LinkedIn is Randall Crowder, uh, custom URL. And then just funware is funware.com. You know, we, uh, we're on all, all platforms as well. You know, Instagram, TikTok, um, you know, LinkedIn. But yeah, you know, it, it's a fun, you know, this is where the puck is headed. You know, this idea of contextual engagement through technology is absolutely where things are going. We've been looking at it in Hollywood forever. And so definitely follow us along, check us out. You can also, we're also traded, so we're public. So it's a ticker symbol P-H-U-N uh, on, you know, Robinhood, Weeble, you know, TD, Ameritrade, whatever. Um, and so we've got a lot of things coming down the pipe. It's going to be, a, it's going to be exciting 2023. Awesome, man. And I'll have those links in the show notes for folks to kind of just hop on, scroll up and and follow all those. Last question is usually the heaviest one. And I save it for last because of that. But what's something that you've seen or something that's happened in your life that shapes the way you view the world as a man? (laughs) Man, that's a good question. I'm going to make sure I protect the innocent with half of these. Um, You know, I think it's, you know, I won't say a specific answer, but I will go back to kind of, you know, the military. Um, I think a lot of people started talking about this in Vietnam. It's gotten more prevalent today, you know, about what the military does for diversity. Um, You know, we still have challenges as as a society, as a people, um, but nothing levels that playing field, like getting shot at. And so, watching kids from all walks of life get just thrown into the ringer together and that shared adversity and, and, you know, being put in extraordinary situations where, you know, the decisions you make, you know, your life's on the line, your buddy's life's on the line. Um, It was so special 
to watch how all the bullshit just goes away. Because like, you know, as you think about it, the further I get away from my service, you know, you get online and you just, you know, it's hard to watch the news. It's hard to get on social media. I mean, it's so, you know, it's so polarizing. Um, it's so binary, you know, black lives matter, all lives matters, Republicans, Democrats, men, women, you know, it just, people need to understand when you're dealing with the media, they get six times the engagement. If it's a negative story, six times. And media is all about generating money. And so you think when you watch the news that we're just about to, you know, be in another civil war, like we're just at each other's throats all the time. I think we need to remember that we're not. People are a lot more similar than we think they are. You know, you put a hundred people in a room and it'd probably take you a while to figure out, you know, who's a Republican, who's a Democrat, you know, just put some drinks in there, some good music, and you'll just be hanging out with normal people who, guess what they're worried about? Raising their kids, getting to work on time, traffic, you know, it's all these common problems. And like, I saw that in the military. It was defining that like, when you strip away all the bullshit, we're just people. And, you know, if you create really good environments for those people to be the best version of themselves, they will. Mm. And, you know, you don't have to kind of go at life with this chip on your shoulder, combative conspiracy theory. Everything is, you know, there's always something amiss or there's a game. You know, most people are just trying to do the best they can with what they got. And sometimes their best may rub you the wrong way. They didn't think about you. They didn't wake up and go, I'm going to really piss off Ted today. They're just living their life. And something they did pissed you off. It wasn't intentional. Uh, and so I think it's a long-winded way of saying I love the base humanity of service. You know, they put themselves out there. They volunteered to be in the military. They volunteered to put themselves in harm's way. Um, they looked after each other. Didn't matter the color of your skin or the religion. I didn't see any overt, you know, prejudices in the military, to be honest. I know they're there. Um, but man, when you're getting shot at, it goes away real fast. You know, you just want to know that somebody's got your back. And the really the things that people get pissed off at is being weak, you know, throwing somebody under the bus, undermining people. It's none of the stuff that the media says we should fight about. You know, it's mm -hmm. just can you do your job? Yeah. Uh, and that's all I try to remember that going forward. You know, I, I want to see the best version of myself, but to do that, I also have to see the best version in other people. Yeah. Try and bring out the best in other people. And my friend and I say all the time, you know, I, I just want to be an asset, not a liability, you know, 100%. earn my spot. 100%. Randall, this has been amazing, man. And like I said, I don't mind going further than, than 30 minutes. We went about 50 minutes on this because you were just hitting it. And, and I think our audience got a lot of value from today, from you today. So I just want to say thank you, not just for your service, but for the time that you gave us the insights and, and uh, a little bit of your journey. So we appreciate no, it. I, I appreciate you. And thank you for having me. I, I bet we could chop it up for, for, for a long time. And if you're ever in Austin, let me know. Um, you know, we get you some barbecue and, and, and share a beverage, but anything I can do for you, let me know. I really appreciate everything you're doing. Absolutely, man. And I'm, I'm going to recap some of the gems you left along the way really quick. Cause I know some people are driving or they're, they're cleaning <laughs> while listening. So, uh, just keep your eyes on the road. I'll take care of the rest guys. Um, 
it got real when, when you mentioned that uh, where the training at West Point, everything was, was already dialed in. The training was already dialed in. It was there and it got real. Just a reminder for folks that always act like it's real because in life, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to the level of your preparation. Mm-hmm. Startup Nation, just wanted to say that again for the book recommendation. Uh, I heard you say it before. I read up on it before. I'm going to add that, add that to my reading list. And then good ideas come from everywhere for the leaders out there, whether you're a leader in your family, leader in your business, or maybe you're in the trenches in your business. You could lead up the chain of command and identify where those good ideas are. And if you have a good idea, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, guys. Speak up mm-hmm. and share it because you never know where that could lead. Access to a mentor and emulate a role model. The mentor you have access to, you emulate a role model and put yourself in the position to be mentored. Sometimes if you have your ego up, if you have your walls up, you don't have that invitation out there for someone to come pour into you and give you the gifts that they've learned along the way. And then put yourself out there, obviously for the mentorship, but also receive and give information. Not just understanding your personality type, but those around you, your emotional intelligence to communicate differently with how people receive information can take you leaps and bounds, not just in business, not just in your workplace, but also in your relationships and in your marriage. What makes people great? That adversity. I know we've come from a generation, a lot of us listening probably were used to those participation trophies. That's great. Congratulations. But Understand that the adversity, the grind, the discomfort, and the hard stuff is what makes the fruit worth it, makes the fruit that much sweeter. And anything worth having is not easy to obtain. Take some L's out there. If you're if you're winning at life, you're probably not trying anything new. If you haven't learned how to win or lose, it's okay to take some L's because I either win or I take a lesson. I don't necessarily lose. I take lessons. And you learn those mm-hmm. lessons and you get back in the ring, keep those hands up, and then put those punches and make sure they land. And finally... Yeah. The small moments when you're alone, those small decisions, those are going to be the defining moments that will lead you to where you want to be. When you're on that stage, when you're in front of that camera, when you're with your family, those are the people that are going to remember the outcome. But the decision in those moments were well before that. Man, Randall. Can I add one more because you just did it? Go for it. And I I got to do it. I'm sorry to prolong this, but what you just did. I think maybe 5% of the population even understands what you did, much less does it. Mm. And so, and and I've done a lot of these, but it doesn't matter if it's a sales pitch, doesn't matter if it's a fight with your partner, starting out a conversation, trying to understand what is this conversation going to be? What, how can we frame the conversation? What do you hope to get out of it? What can I provide to it? And then having that conversation, but being an active listener and being such an active listener that you can recap the conversation when it's done. Here's what I heard. Here's kind of what I gathered, what I gleaned from it. Here's some of my takeaways. That's that's a sales pitch for anybody who's ever sold anything. As human beings, I always tell people we want to be seen. We want to know that we're seen. That's how we validate ourselves. And so it's just like, I I, I say this to my sales team all the time. It's that cheers moment. You know, you walk into a a bar. I did this at Soup Peddler just today. I've been going there for, you know, a couple months. I get like sometimes a smoothie, sometimes a soup. And the woman who I've never had a single conversation with her, I was about to tell her, like Randall, right? I'm like, 
wow, you remembered. <laughs> cool. I mean, thousands of people come through here, but you you remembered my name. You're like, well, you're kind of you know easy to pick out. But I'm like, yeah, but you were you. I I could understand if you remembered my face, but you remember my name. Sometimes people will remember your order. That kind of like. I was actively seeing you as a human being. I understood something about you, something that was important to you, and I recalled it. That is the best way to win friends and influence people. Mm-hmm. And so what you just did, very few people do. So I don't care if somebody on here wants to start their own podcast, if somebody wants to have an interview or try to do a sales pitch, you should always be recapping every conversation at the end to make sure you're aligned. And then we wouldn't do this at this step other than let's keep in touch, but then line out next steps. You know, Hey, when are we going to do the next thing by when are we going to do it? Who's responsible for doing it? So uh, I just want to commend you for being an active listener for summarizing everything that we talked about because you were active listening. That is a takeaway that everyone listening to this should emulate uh, and 100% begin to do today. Man, that means a lot. And that's, that's huge, brother. And I appreciate that. Thank you. I I received that. And and for the listeners and, and the people watching on YouTube, I hope you receive it as well, because we we, we want to provide value here. And that's definitely a great tip. And I'm I'm glad I'm doing it. And I'm going to keep on doing it moving forward as well. (laughs) Yeah. And the last thing I'm going to ask of the audience is to share this with a friend, because you know that they're going to get value from it. I mean, you just heard the last 55 minutes. So please share this with someone, you know, can get value from it. Hit that subscribe button to get a new episode each and every single week and please leave us a rating to let us know how we're doing because the only way we improve is from hearing from you we appreciate the time guys thank you so much for rocking with us all the way to the end and as we always say everybody wants the sunshine but they don't want the rain but you can't get the pleasure without first the pain let's grow 